Boulder Creek murmurs, but it's loud with frogs, and I look for a place to set the alley coop next to it. I forego squishy sand, thinking it might get inside the tent, and I settle into grass. It's a quick dinner as lazy mosquitoes land on my toes under brilliant stars. Ah, I'm supine at last. I press into the ground, deeper, softer, lower. Oh no, that idea of camping in grass as some sort of assurance of comfort does not work in the desert. Even the grass wants to poke you, and it works its way right through the alley coop, burrowing its way into my mattress. I'm now deflating all the way into the ground. And you know that pokey grass was just covering up lumpy and hard ground. What on earth was I thinking? Well, there's nothing to do now but try and sleep. But I'm also next to a beautiful babbling brook. But that means the tent is damp and the air is cold. It's so different from last night on the ridge in the wind. It's damp to the bone cold. And there's nothing to do but wrap in tighter and sleep against the ground until it's light. You're listening to the Blissful Hiker Podcast. I'm Allison Young, the Blissful Hiker, sometime professional flutist, sometime voice artist, and full-time pedestrian. My goal in sharing stories of walking long-distance trails as a solo, female, middle-aged, titanium-reinforced hiker is to empower you to learn to hike your own hike, too. As I mentioned, the night before this was dry and cool, the wind a jet engine and a tall widowmaker of ponderosa pine above my tent. Only its rounded top has needles, but they shake and shimmy. I'm walking the Arizona Trail and camping all alone high above Roosevelt Lake in the Four Peaks Wilderness. The sunrise is a deep orange melting to indigo. I wear all my clothes and sit on a log for breakfast, but it's cold. Still, I slather on sunscreen because it's clear, too. I'm up high close to the peaks which loom over me, snow still encrusted to their rocky flanks. I work my way down, sidling the mountain on loose stones. The wind is so wild it threatens to take my hat, and maybe even me. The moon is perfectly in half, white on an azure sky. I am wearing all my gear, at least the top half, including gloves, but nothing froze like the first night when I had chunky water. But I keep moving even when the sun comes out full blast. I look for other campsites, but I don't see anything as nice as mine until right at Shake Spring. The water is on full blast, with a fairly substantial set of falls pouring through jumbled boulders. I'm amazed there's so much water up here in this incredibly dry environment. Everything is brown, and half the trees are charred from recent fires, but the water crosses the trail several times before I meet Pigeon Spring. This time, water is collected in a concrete tub sunk into the ground. There are some leaves and a few bugs, but when I dip my cup in deep enough, the water is clear and filters well. One thing I have learned is to keep my filter clean. There's so much silt and dirt it can clog up easily, and once the water stops flowing, it's difficult to clean. So I take a moment to backflush my filter with filtered water, and the flow speeds up right away. 
I prefer to carry one and a half liters with me because more than that makes it nearly impossible to walk because I'm so heavy. I usually drink an entire liter before heading on, especially since this next water carry is nine miles. But just as I leave this lovely spring, I reach a road. A sign warns me about the Arizona black rattlesnake, one of 13 rattlers in the state. This one is unusual because it can change color like a chameleon. It also partners when tending to its young and is far more docile than most snakes. I have yet to see a snake, though, probably because it's still too cold. It's definitely odd to reach a road. The trail was so wild on the edge of the mountain, especially with all that wind and my being completely alone. Now I feel domesticated. I can even see a town far below in bright green at the end of the lake. It's hard-packed and easy walking, so I call Richard. Today's his birthday. I wave to one lone mountain biker who passes as we talk. The road follows the ridge for miles. It's mostly easy walking, but I'm exhausted, and down gets harder for me as the day wears on. The mountains are huge around me in jumbly shapes, sometimes sharp, sometimes more like mesas. The ridge is another land of weird rocks, weather-shaped stones and spires and hoodoos. If I turn back, I see the snow-encrusted four peaks getting smaller. At the spring, I fill a mountain house beef stroganoff that I picked up at the hiker box in Roosevelt Lake with water. I love these dinners. I mean, they're overpriced, but they're really salty and filling. Everyone dumps out items from their resupply and the rest of us benefit. I carry my food until lunchtime as the water soaks in, trying to see how far I can get in two hours. But the monotony is getting to me. There just isn't enough to keep my interest, and my body is really tired. So I sing, and I look at the weird rocks. I study this deep shade of blue high up here in the mountains. A bird calls, and the wind keeps me cool as the sun blazes warm. I walk through an area thick with pine, and the aroma overwhelms. Even here, water crosses the road just enough to collect. I come back out into the open and find a flat rock jutting out, perfect for a lion, or for me, with my lunch. The stroganoff is perfect, and I gobble it up, followed by hiker box Fritos and a chocolate peanut butter shake. I guess you could say I'm pretty hungry. I sprawl against my pack, then head on to the water, feeling revived. Several streams cross the road, and I pick one to filter, large, puddly pools running clear. I can't imagine any other circumstance where I'd scoop water for drinking from the middle of the road, but it is delicious. I look back at my peaks one last time, then prepare for another steep up which is shockingly short before I head down on loose stones. This is the kind of walking that wears me out. In fact, it hurts to walk this way. And within a mile, I'm headed up, and what do we have here? A trail! It's not really a massive improvement. It's steep and full of loose stones, but I head up and over into a deep canyon. The poppies returning, happy to see me. I zigzag down into the canyon, 
a mile or so of buggy, cat-claw-grabby awfulness, in and out of rocky streambed, an up-and-down, barely-there trail. The saving grace is the wonderfully fragrant white flowers that calm me. Soon, I reach beautiful, nourishing, life-giving water and sit my body down in the middle of the wash to fill up. I'll be out of this rocky horror picture show soon and on to grasslands with just enough light to get me to some flat camping. I pass pools loud with frogs belching and waterfalls through the rocks. The crickets saw loudly through here, spreading fleabane with its many-petaled face crowds thickly against the trail. The poppies have closed for the night, delicate crepe paper umbrellas. I still walk in and out of dry side channels feeding Boulder Creek, but my feet have found at least a hundred feet of joy as the canyon opens towards grassland and the huge matted cells in front of me. The light is orange now on the grasses in prickly pear. Of course, those grasses lull me into setting myself directly on them, sharp and dangerous. And in the morning, I need to get myself to town and buy a replacement. But how? Things are easy at first. I can hear the highway. In fact, I can see it. But nothing on the Arizona Trail is straightforward. I go in and out of washes, up and down and around. And then I see a road heading straight for the highway. But two of the beautifully made iron AZT signs seem determined to keep me from it. So up I go, and up even more. What's this? You send me on a road nearly all day yesterday, but now I have to climb up on this cliff further away from the highway for some trail builder's ego trip? This trail is pissing me off. Obviously, I need a break. Truth is, it is a well-built trail, and any road that might be down there next to the creek where the cows are mooing might not actually be passable, even if from up here I see a wide path through the sycamores. So I study my surroundings, hear the birds singing, hummingbird trumpets, a splash of beauty in a drab landscape. And I think about how, when things go wrong, I tend to blame myself. I mean, it was a dumb decision to set in the grass, but it was a test of character and fortitude, a test of smarts in managing difficulties and finding a way through. Yeah, but I want to cry about my bad luck. But instead, I make a plan. I'm about to hit a highway, and it takes me to Payson. Payson's a big enough town. They've got to have a sporting goods store. I'll get this fixed or find a substitute. I just need to get to Payson, which is 30 miles away. It's funny how a hike reminds me to keep each step the priority. I can't fix my mattress now. I need to walk now and definitely not fall on the rocks, which I do for the first time, sliding backwards right onto my butt. But finally, I meet the road. Well, after diving down and crossing a creek and meeting a gravel road in the trailhead, then I'm at the road, where I stand trying to look friendly and harmless, as well as a bit needy with my thumb stuck out. I smile. I even mouth, please. What goes on in people's minds when they pass me? They're driving cars far too big for one. 
Maybe they just don't want to bother, or they didn't see me. Or what they do notice is that I'm a pretty odd middle-aged lady out here with a backpack. Feeling sorry for myself, I barely notice when a red sports car stops way up the road. For me? I guess so. I run up there, and Wes says I can take you to Payson. (laughs) He seems to live out of that car. Cups and bottles all over the place. A picture of his girlfriend taped above the visor. But there is room for me and my gear as we drive down the roller coaster of a highway. When I get to town, I call a few stores. Nobody has sleeping mats. One allows me to leave a message, and that's when the true trail magic happens. Margaret returns my call, an ultra runner and the owner of Rim Runners. When she calls, she tells me they don't sell sleeping pads or have any to loan. But right now she's not at the store. She's in Phoenix, in the parking lot of an REI. What if she buys me a mattress, not the blow-up kind, but one that'll withstand being poked, and then delivers it to me? Oh, my goddess. (laughs) What are the odds? The rest of my day in Payson is about sending home the damaged mattress, shopping for food, cleaning gear, and planning for the next section. I'm rested. I'm blessed. And I'm ready to face more steep climbs, more long water carries, and maybe a million more rocks. Well, I could do without at least a few of those rocks. You can subscribe to Blissful Hiker wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave a review on Apple that helps the show get discovered. Blissful Hiker is on Patreon right now. You can support the show financially as a patron. Help me get on trail to collect sound and create these stories. There's a link to Patreon in the show notes or at blissfulhiker.com. Blissfulhiker.com is also where you can find other episodes, read the blog, see pictures, and contact me, blissfulhiker.com. Next week, I head into the matted cells. I get the rocks, I get the steepness, and not much water. And I try out that new sleeping mattress for the first time. Until then, my friends, kia kaha, and happy trails. <laughs>